There we go, sexy Christian part one. And so when I think about, you know, we're spirit, soul, and body, right? We're three different parts, and we're, we're born of God's spirit, and he gives us spiritual gifts. And so in scripture, we can see the description of those gifts, and we're responsible for the stewardship of those gifts and using those gifts. We're also, we have a soul, our Samarian will and emotions, and God gives us gifts in that realm. He's given us specific personalities. You know, there's like seven different types of intelligence, so some are artistic, some have good math skills, some great musical abilities, some have a sports intelligence that it doesn't matter what game you're playing, you got it figured out. And so there, there's gifts God gives us in our minds and, and our soul and our emotions, but in our body, there's also gifts he gives us, and health is one of those gifts and strength. But the other thing, it's a gift that he's given us is our sexuality. And so sometimes we don't treat it that way. Sometimes even in Christian circles, when we think about sexuality, we always tie it to the carnal side of man. We tie it to uh, just our nature and the flesh. And when we say it, we even curl our face, the flesh. And, uh, and, and, and we, we, we label sexuality like it's, it's something that came straight from the pit of hell. But God designed it, right? And so if we talk about it right and believe about it right and develop that, that part of our nature right, uh, I, I just really believe marriages and relationships can just going to get reordered and to think like God thinks about our sexuality. So Ted Roberts, he's a fighter pilot, intense guy, testosterone guy. Uh, we use the Conqueror series here in men's group. And, um, and so Ted uh, figured out he could fight this battle out here, but he was losing the battle inside because he was driven by pornography and bound by sexual chains. And so he went on this pursuit of just uh, figuring out his own stuff. And now he's, he pastors and he's helping other people figure out their stuff, how to be free sexually. But he, he started this seminars called Sexy Christians. And the TV station in Portland got hurt, heard of it. That this church is doing a midweek series on sexual Christians, sexy Christians. And so the reporter came and interviewed him. And said she couldn't believe her ears. You guys talk about this in church? And he says, oh, yeah, you ought to come. So she showed up, I think twice, showed up to church. Well, she put it out on their news. And next thing you know, went from Portland to Seattle. And then Seattle, somebody in Seattle was talking about it. CNN picked up the story. And so Ted, he gets a call. He and his wife fly to New York because they're going to be interviewed on Good Morning America. And so they're there with Robin, the gal's name, forget her last name. She's interviewing at Good Morning America. She said, all the cameramen, they're going like this, just listening. Because they said they're used to two things when Christians talk about sex. It's usually from a prudish standpoint. But all the things you shouldn't do or can't do, or from the other standpoint, it's a self-righteous guy pointing his fingers and condemning people for this lifestyle, that lifestyle, and then you find out soon that he's got a secret life himself. And so that's what the media is used to. So when somebody articulates that God loves us and he's gifted us with such a powerful, powerful thing as our sexuality, and there's a way to understand that and there's a way to steward that and to treat it like a treasure and a gift. And so he, he's, he's explaining it at that level. So uh, he said it was just amazing, the, the atmosphere there. And then they stepped outside. If you ever watch those morning news programs, there's a bunch of people on the streets he comes outside, they get a standing ovation from the people standing out on the streets because nobody talks about it like that. And then he says, I stepped out and I see these video boards all over these big screens in Times Square and most of them have semi-clothed women on them 
And these people are clapping, and he said, there's this vacuum in this void. People recognize something's broken, something's wrong, we need help, but they just don't know how to turn or, or what to turn to just to really get guidance and help. So he wrote this book, he wrote some other stuff. This one's mainly probably for, for marriage folks, but uh, I'm going to read a little out of it, maybe not as much this morning, but uh, th- there's some powerful things in here. How many know what, help me, how many know what that is? Gold? Real gold? How many believe it's fool's gold? How many believe it's real gold? I probably already gave it away. Anyway, so it's, it's, it's iron sulfide. It's pyrite. And when in geology days, you know, we, we used to play with this stuff. And I had a little piece. I think it's in my car, but I didn't think you could see it, so I put a picture up. But um, it looks like gold. It's called fool's gold. And it comes in big chunks like that, but it really is a counterfeit. And so if you found this and you thought, gosh, my dreams are answered. I'm going to go get the new pickup truck. I found some gold. And, and you showed up at the lot and a guy knew what it was. He'd say, sorry, dude, you're, you're still driving the clunker. That's, that's not going to fly because it's, it's a counterfeit. And in the culture we're in and the talk about sexuality and what we see on the ads and the sitcoms and the dialogue, it, it, it's really a counterfeit for what God intended for you, how you and me could live. Do you believe that? So let's talk about it. This is Dennis Prager. He's a Jewish political speaker and writer. He says this, what has replaced Judaism and Christianity and Judeo-Christian values and the Bible? The answer is feelings. More and more Americans rely on feelings to make moral decisions. The heart has taken the place of the Bible. And so when we're talking this morning, I'm just going to challenge you a bit because a lot of this stuff, passion and sexuality, it is driven by feelings. We had a saying when I started, uh, you know, when I was younger, if it feels good, do it. Well, somebody else just told me this morning, well, they, they grew up with it. If it feels good, do it. And if it feels really good, do it again. And, and, and so that mindset that you're just led by your feelings, led by your emotions, it's contrary to those of us that have a biblical worldview. So for you and me that believe and are followers of Jesus and, and believe that God's word is a manual for you and me and how to live and how to relate and how to get along, we, we have to say, even though my feelings are like this, I don't want to forgive somebody, but God's word has truth on it and says, this is how I'm supposed to do it. As a follower of Jesus, I have to choose and side with truth. And so sexuality is the same way. When God's given us instructions and boundaries on this kind of love, on, on this part of our, our, our being and our life and our relationships, and he gives us insight on that, then you and me have to research it out, and you hear this side of it and that side of it, but you and me, we evaluate and say, if this is truth, I want my life built on truth and not just on feeling. Anybody with me? I, I want my life built on truth and not just opinion. I, I want my foundation to be built on truth. Because Jesus said, if we continue in his word, we know the truth. And the, what does the truth do? It sets us free. And so when we look at these things this morning, I just want you to pray through them and, and take a good look at them. Number one, truth one, you are created in God's image. Do you believe that? So you are faithfully and, and wonderfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been made for worship. You've been made for fellowship. You've been made for love. You've been made for purity. You're made for intimacy. You're made for creativity. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You are made to carry God's authority and to rule and reign with him. And you've been made for greatness. You've been made a man or a woman in an image of God. You're a spirit who possesses a soul, mind, will, and emotions. And you live in a body with male parts or female parts. Our brains are different. Our designs are different. And God made us that way. Number two, this is Life 101, I know, pretty basic. You were made for relationships and intimacy. God made us for relationships with him and with each other. The relationships in our lives are not all the same. They have different purposes. There are different levels of trust and communication and intimacy based on the dynamics of those relationships. Our relationship under our parents and then teachers and mentors and with coworkers or teammates then we have friends and special someones and our someday spouses. These are different kinds of relationships requiring special kinds of love. The, the truth is, it really is all about love. Amen? God designed the reality of love. It's more than an emotion or a feeling. Listen to this. It's a sense of worth and value bestowed upon a person by another. Because you're valued in their eyes, there's a sense of care and protection and camaraderie and intimacy, a desire to be with you and share things from the heart. And it's obvious God designed different levels of love and intimacy with boundaries around them. If your family was healthy, God gave your parents a kind of love for you that no one else has. From the beginning, there was a bond and a responsibility to nurture and protect you. They had an ongoing commitment to see you grow and succeed, to encourage you and correct you, to stick with you and support you. No one else was given that kind of love for you. Well, God gives us a special kind of love for him. When he reveals his love to us and we encounter it, there's nothing like it. He invites us to abide with him and in him. He says he is a jealous God in a good way. He wants us to seek him first and put him first in our lives. He wants our love to be pure towards him and to be selfless and sincere and sinless and seeking and pursuing love, a special kind of love with boundaries and expectations and benefits. How many know the love of God has benefits? Amen? And, and, and listen, it's a different kind of love he designed for you and him. You can feel it and you can receive it and you can give it. Well, if things are healthy, you have a love for your family. It's a different kind of love, and it's special, and you're, you're loyal towards them and caring and protective over them. You, you take care of them differently, and there are special expectations on their time and on their resources. You, you might even have the same kind of love for your friends that same way. Well, you have a different kind of love for creation, for sunsets and kittens, and I even have a puppy slide, and... Uh, and, and so for waterfalls and wildflowers or Ferraris or good music and, or, or birdie golf, if you're a golfer, and you might say, I love springtime, unless you have hay fever, which is going on in my right eye. Or, or you might say, I love the feeling of bass drums and jamming guitars, and I love the exhilaration of a jamming up a mountain road on my motorcycle or, or fresh powder at Mammoth. Uh, this week I was watching the, the big wave championships on TV. And uh, that's Laird Hamilton. I didn't want you to think that was me. I've never been on anything that's that, that, that big in my life. And uh, anyway, th those things you say, man, I love that stuff. I love the action. I love watching it. I love the thrill of it. But it, it, it's, still, it's still a different kind of love. Do you believe that? So God designed another kind of love for men and women. It's 
couple's love, romantic. It's physical attraction. It's committed covenantal love, and it's sacred. It's when the adrenaline that flows when we're excited to see each other and discover each other and experience a deeper intimacy as we talk with one another. It's the feeling of being special, separated to and for that person. This love develops into, I've chosen you above all others. The feeling of being special, separated to and for that person. And the kind of love impacts our whole being, our spirit, our soul, and our body. It even impacts our brain chemistry. It starts to rewrite our personal identity where we start giving up our own singleness for that we mentality. This love results in deeper level of commitment, the intention to build alongside that person, to build a team and a a family and a home and a future and a ministry, a a legacy. It sacrifices for the well-being of the other. And in that relationship, there's special looks. I know those special looks. My wife's on the front row this service. I have to be careful. (laughs) Special love songs and special places and special firsts. Do you ever have any special firsts? We're we're celebrating 32 days in in love. (laughs) Those special firsts and special dates and anniversaries. It's all that part of developing that relationship. This level of love grows into what God calls a covenant, a pledge to be all in. For better or worse, what I have is yours. I'm going to help you become all you can be. I I want you to to protect your heart, to know you intimately, to love you deeply, to provide for your needs, to comfort you in hardship, and clap for you in victory. There's something that God designed for that kind of love, and he calls it sacred. I was working on this message the other night and looking up some things on college research and, and sexuality and college, all that, and... In the background, here comes this guy singing on The Voice. Anybody watch The Voice? So in the background, I hear this guy, Chris Blue, singing the song. When a man loves a woman. Wish I could do it right. Jared, come up here, Jared. And, and so here's the lyrics. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm listening to that. And here's the first couple lines. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'll trade the world for the good thing he's found. If she's bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong. Turn his back on his best friend if he put her down. When a man loves a woman, spend his very last dime trying to hold on to what he needs. He'd give her all his comfort, sleep out in the rain if she said that's the way it ought to be. That last line, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really buying that last line, but anyway, but but. It's a unique love. It's, it's something that God builds. And I'm sharing that because there's different kinds of loves with different kinds of boundaries around it and different kinds of expectations. And, and God designed it that way. And so we come into this covenantal love, and that's what God designed sex to be around. And God designed this different love for marriage with a different intent for intimacy and pleasure and oneness a place to truly know one another. This, this word to know in the, in the Hebrew is yada. And, and the first time we see it in scripture is where it said, said, you know, Adam and he took Eve and he knew his wife, yada. He was intimate with her. And so yada you find in different places, but it really means like heart to heart. When we're called to know God, it's just not know his law, but know his ways. To know him personally, to know him intimately. And when God designs the sacred covenant of marriage, it was supposed to be yada that I, I know you and Eve walked before me in her, in her wholeness and her nakedness. And they weren't ashamed. There was something vulnerable about that, something pure about it. 
wasn't twisted and weird. It, it was sacred, and God designed him to be that way. And the outcome of this love is everyone is healthy and not preventing it is childbirth and bringing in the next generation. And so as we see relationships build and the boundaries change and the expectations grow, what, what, what happens when we start hooking up? When we just do it for sex, friends with benefits or whatever it is, when we just start hooking up, we're, we're short-circuiting that plan that God had developed to, to build foundations of caring, to build foundations of respect, for, to build foundations of a deep level of trust. We short-circuit all that when God, God designed this thing to evolve, to grow, to get to know one another, and that we'd fully yada one another before we give uh, the, this gift of our sexuality to one another. Are you all right? You got really quiet in here. So uh, another kind of love with its boundaries and levels of commitment. So I, I want you to know, God, he designed your sexuality. It's not dirty or it's not carnal. It's a treasure. Say treasure. It, 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 it's a treasure. So Jan and I, we play volleyball on Mondays, and Hannah's, uh, Hannah's 25. She's a cute little gal, and she's good friends with our daughter-in-law, and Hannah plays with us. On, on Mondays, and so after volleyball, we went and got a big iced tea at McDonald's, and we're hanging out there for a buck, you know, so, and, and we're a big spender. Hey, Hannah, I'll buy you an iced tea. <laughs> I'm a generous kind of guy, and so we're, we're, we're having an iced tea together, and uh, we start talking about church, and there's some other guys there, and they know I'm a pastor, and I told them what I'm going to start talking about, and, and then I started asking Hannah, well, you know, what, what do you think about it? Hannah, she, she's a cute little girl, works in a surf shop. She works at a coffee shop. She's got lots of opportunities for interest towards her. And I, I just said, how, how do you manage that? How do you navigate that? And she said, well, I've come to this place where I really consider my, my sexuality a treasure. I consider it a gift. I'm going to guard that because someday I'm going to get to give that away. And so I, I want it to be like a special gift, you ever look at a gift and say, this thing's been re-gifted? <laughs> I mean, this thing, this thing's been around a little bit. <sighs> Sorry, it's real, though. It's real, right? So, so here, here, this is, this is something I've cherished. This is something I've, I've it's special, and, I, and I'm giving it to you. And so scripture, come back with me, okay? Scripture, so... You know, even the, and we've talked about this, the physiology of the thing where, where God sealed a, a vagina with a, a hymen, and when that's broken, there's, there's blood, like the blood of the covenant is spilled. Like, God designed it to be special. Our culture doesn't treat it that way at all. And so, th this idea that our, our sexuality is not dirty or carnal, we need to get in our head because some of us, See, this is the weird thing about early experience of sexuality and psychologists doing work on it. You get imprints from those first experiences, like strong imprints, like strong brain chemistry for those first experiences. It's kind of like this. If I had masking tape and I put it on my shirt, first time it'd be sticky and I ripped it off and then did it again and ripped it off and put it here, ripped it off and put it here, I'd get adhesive on my shirt. But what happens, the, the tape quits sticking. It quits the imprints. It picks up the first stuff, but later it, it gets diluted. And so in our sexual experiences, especially, okay, backside of the, backseat of the car, and we shouldn't be doing this, and it's quick, and it's weird, and it's awkward, and yet it's passionate, and it's nuts, and it's over, and 20 seconds later, I'm gone, and she's hurt, and I'm going, what did I just do? And, 
And those kind of things that, that get stuck in people's minds or the voyeuristic things of kids that get stuck in, stuck in their minds, it, it twists what God's intent is. What if, what if your first sexual experience is you, you meet somebody and you grow together and you, and you develop together and you figure out you know, months into this thing, this could be the right one. And then you start talking to your family and your friends about it and they get excited and you're planning a day. And, and people show up that are with you and before you and behind you, and, and there's the blessing of God there because people are praying. And then your first sexual encounter is with the person that you love, the person that you saved yourself for, the person you want to give yourself to wholly and completely, instead of like visions and images of the weirdness that, we, that happens to us. And God does it to protect our hearts. Now, here's a disclaimer. So I'm sharing this in passion, and, and what it can do is put guilt in people, and that's the last thing I want to do, or any condemnation, because I'm up here not as one that did this right. I mean, Jan and I, we, we got together when we were new Christians, and we messed up, and then we got it right, and then for months before we got married, we said we're going to honor God and, and try and do this how we believe God wants us to do it. So we messed up. I'm not here pointing fingers at anybody. I've prayed and I said, God, impart your heart to people so they value this and they're not just wasting or, or, or uh, just destroying the very thing that you gave them as a gift. Are you okay? Are you with me? Okay. So this, this is, listen to this. There, there's some scriptures that are like hubba, hubba, hubba. And so <laughs> Proverbs 5 Listen, what, this is what Solomon says. Let your fountain, your wife, be blessed with rewards of fidelity and rejoice in the wife of your youth and let her be as a loving hind and a graceful doe. I'm not really sure what that's about. Let, let her, but listen to this. Let her breast refresh and satisfy you at all times. Always be exhilarated and delight in her love. Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an immoral woman? Uh, I think the Message Bible says a harlot and embrace the bosom of an outsider. So here Solomon's drawing a picture and then you read the Song of Solomon and it gets kind of racy, some of the descriptions he has. I'm saying that, that God didn't make it just taboo or weird. He wanted it to be beautiful. He wanted it to be an exchange of love and drawing people closer. A, a, a part of our life that, you know, this this where we give ourselves, but it also breaks stress, it breaks off worry, anxiety, there's brain chemistry that just, woo, and uh, it, it, he designed it that way. Do you believe that? Tell your neighbor God designed it. See, it's meant to do that. God made it sex to feel good. The 10 jillion neurons to set off fireworks in our brains as we enjoy one another at that level. He designed the body parts. He designed arousal. He designed happy endings, fireworks. Your sexuality is not dirty. It's not carnal. It's not animalistic or biological urges. Your sexuality is divinely designed. It's a gift, a treasure, something you can guard, then you can give away to somebody you're totally committed to, and he or she is committed to you. God designed this kind of love to be enjoyed in the covenants of marriage with all the commitments of that covenant in place. And you know what? You and me as Christians, we, we got an advantage because this, we, we have this passage of Scripture that said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We, we got this picture of sacrificial love, of Jesus laying his life down and serving the church. You and me have an advantage because when things get sideways, we can get forgiveness from God and we can extend it to one another. 
Uh, statistically, this is a while ago, Focus on the Family did a survey of, of age groups and background types and of the most sexually satisfied women. And you know what they found out? Women in their, in their late 20s, early 30s that are in Christian monogamous relationships, marriages, we're the most sexually satisfied. We, we got some advantages. We, we can get help from God and life from God and love for God, and we can bestow it to other people. We ought to have the hottest marriages going, church. We, 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 we ought to have the most fulfilled, the most romantic, the most loving relationships going because we have a father that designed us and a father that can help us keep those things, uh, passion on fire. And don't get steamed up, singles. I'm sorry. All right, let, let's, let's, let's read this. You all right? Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But look at this last passage. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So just for clarification, fornications, having sex, sexual relations, sexual intercourse outside of marriage and adulterers are those that are having sexual intercourse, sexual encounters with people they're not married to. And it says those, those will be judged. Here's the amplified. Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious of a great price, and especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage bed be undefiled, kept undishonored. For God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adulterous. Wow. So our, our culture could be in trouble. This is what Galatians 6 says. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed nor treated with contempt. Read the yellow with me. Nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. And so when we see if this is truth and this is God's intent and we uh, scornfully set those things aside and our culture mocks, our culture makes fun of us, just the idea that we would even wait, all those things. He, he said, whatever a man sows, he reaps. For the one who sows to the flesh, the sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction. But the one who sows to the spirit will what? Reap from the spirit eternal life. So when you say, how, how, how does God judge? It's, it's really apparent how it's judged. Really apparent. Here's just some statistics from American sexual health. More than half of all sexually active people will have an STD or STI. STD is sexually transmitted diseases. STI, sexually transmitted infections. And so many people carry infections that haven't turned into full-blown diseases yet. So recent estimates from the Centers of Disease Control and Infection show that there are 19.7 million new STIs every year in the U.S. So there's about 250 million adults so every year, there's a little, probably about 8% of the U.S. adults are coming up with some kind of new STI every year. In 2008, there was an estimated 110 million prevalent STIs among women and men. So that's a little under half of the people, half of the adults in our, in, in our population in the U.S. have been impacted or affected by some kind of sexually transmitted disease. Of these, more than 20% were among women and men aged 15 to 24. So it's impacting the young people being spread around in the, the populations of young people. Here's the cost. So we talk about health care costs and health care crises. $15.6 billion went to it in 2010. And uh, that's a pretty major or significant portion of the health care budget is just going to fight diseases that came on from breaking God's precepts. And then this is the wilder thing. In a survey of U.S. physicians, 
Uh, fewer than one-third routinely screen patients for them. So in other words, you can get them, and they could be dormant in your body, and, and you, your doctor doesn't even check, and you're not really aware until they come on you, and, uh, and then you're dealing with the repercussions of that. Each year, one in 14 contracts one. One in two sexually active persons will contract an STD by the age of 25 years old. So that's half the population will get some kind of a form of a disease or infection by the time they're 25, if you're sexually active. It's estimated that as many as one in five Americans have herpes, genital herpes, a lifelong but manageable infection, yet up to 90% of those with herpes are unaware they even have it. And so th that's the bummer, and they're still figuring out and finding out the, the impact of herpes, especially on babies and when you're passing on th the virus, the other areas of your life it impacts. With more than 50 million, this is scary, 50 million adults in the U.S. with genital herpes and up to 776,000 new infections each year, some estimates suggest by 2025, up to 40% of all men and women could be infected, uh, half of them, and so, or 40% of, and, and half of the women, so 50% of the women will be infected by that. And that, that's, I don't know, that, that's scary stuff. Because what we're hearing about more is just the infertility. And now people that want to get pregnant, 15% of women who are infertile contribute it to tubal damage caused by uh, pelvic inflammatory disease, the result of an untreated STD. And so th this is just a physical thing. So we break God's precepts, we break God's laws, and physical things happen. Certain lifestyles, they say you're, when you're in, involved with certain lifestyles and sexually promiscuous, you'll cut 20 years off your life. So average human American lives to be, you know, 87. Then you're saying by this sexually uh, permissive lifestyle I'm living, I could cut 20 years off my life. Now we scream at kids not to smoke because it takes six years off your life. But we laugh and joke about the promiscuity that's blown all over television like it's got no consequence. But God won't be mocked. When we break his law, we reap. And it's a sad thing. Amen? And I'm not saying that doing any finger pointing. It, it hurts me. Uh, the consequences and judgments, just quickly, untimely births and major, major shifts in plans. So we know young girls that they're going to college and they're planning futures or guys, and then a baby comes along untimely. Uh, thank God that you gave the baby a chance to live, but it can radically shift your plans. And so that's one aspect of it, financial hardships. When children come along and parents aren't ready, it, it changes the whole financial dynamics of a house. There's abortions involved, and through the years we've counseled people and seen that within family, just the, the, the hardship and the hurt that comes from those things. Broken hearts, inability to commit, unhealthy fantasies and memories. I, I used to ride motorcycles with a guy named Bill when we first got married. We live in Hayward in East Bay, and that time the East Bay wasn't built up like it is now, and there were some amazing winding roads going through the hills, and so Bill and I would take off some Saturday mornings, and still remember we ended up at this little diner out in the middle of the whatever it was, and, and he and I are talking and, and just getting heart to heart and honest, and, and he tells me, he says, Mike, I, I've been with 70 different women before I, I married Sandy. And he says, and when I'm with Sandy, I have such a hard time just focusing on her and, and being with her because I got these memories and these weird fantasies about all these others' relationships. And, and he was saying it with a conviction. I wish things could be different so I could give my life and my focus to my wife. 
And then there's guilt and shame, and I'm not putting that on anybody this morning. I, I just thank God that he breaks shame off us. He forgives, amen? But, but that thing that makes the church barren and, and affects your prayer life and affects when you pray because you have this shame over sexual weirdness or whatever, uh, that thing, I, I just really believe God wants that broken off the church. And, you know, believe me, again... I mean, if you looked at my uh, computer history over the last 10 years, there, there's things on there, you know, seasons or times where, you know, Google the celebrity and it goes to wherever. I mean, there, there's things on there I wouldn't be proud of, but I know what it does to my heart. It like you feel like you get slimed when you open the door, just any of that. I love being in the zone when you pray, you feel like confidence before God. I love being in the zone where you need help from God and, and you're, you're walking with him and you're listening to him and there's nothing between us and you, you, you need something and you see him show up or meet the need. I love being in that zone. How about you? Anybody like confidence before God? Like it when, when just feeling you're connected with God that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's in you? Do, you? do you enjoy that? And that's his heart. He wants that for you, and he wants that for me. He doesn't want us to be spiritually barren. We've got to wrap this up right now. Oops, the last one. What else? Why, why do it to please God? Well, you, you want to have a vibrant relationship with him, right? You, you want that cultivated because you care about yourself. This is the other thing. When, when you love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, when, you, when you're loving yourself, you, this thing about self-control and the ability to say no and the ability to say this is my sexuality and I'm going to guard it and it's, it's just not to give away or to trash that I'm going to guard my sexuality. It builds esteem and it builds a strength of character that affects other parts of your life. And so, uh, you know, the other part of it too, when, when people say, evolutionists say, well, you know, we're biological beings. Men, you're meant to reproduce. You're not made to be monogamous. I think, really, is that true? Well, then why does it hurt so bad when you're cheated on? Like, if I'm made this way and my biology says you sh I should be able to mate and do whatever, then, then why in the heck does it hurt so bad when somebody gets cheated on if this is the way evolution designed me? If, if it was just evolution and I wanted to do it or whatever, then if it was just evolution, my feelings should say, you stud, you multiply. If that, was just, if that was just genetics, but what happens when wife says, you no longer my stud, I'm going to go find another. Ha, ha, why, why does that crush our hearts so much when that covenant's broken? Because God made it special on the inside to be protected and, and to give it to one person and to cherish that. So when you say, why wait? Because I want to save this gift for, for my spouse. If you're separated now or you're divorced now, it's not too late to, to just kind of rethink and retool re what, what God's showing you or what he reveals to you. And last but not least, I want revival. How about you? I, I want revival. And in scripture, this, this Jezebel spirit, you go back to uh, Kings when Ahab married Jezebel. And Jezebel was a, uh, she was a queen over this whole fertility cult, and there was all kinds of temple prostitutes and weirdness and seducing God's people, and God judged it there in the book of Revelation. He judges this prophetess Jezebel who seduces the people. That, that spirit of Jezebel stopping revival. I want revival. How about you? And we need to get that broken from our lives and, and get that, just the people in the church, free from those things so we can see what God has for us. 
So let me ask you this. What, what in closing, what, what kind of love are you making? Is it committed love? Is it, is it, are you trying to do it God's way? Again, no condemnation. Are you, are you, where are you at on that? Would, would you say, God, if you're showing me these things and I need to put these things in check, then I, I'm going to do it. And, and then finding other people. You need a wingman. You need somebody to look out for you. Another, for gals, another gal that just, just will keep an eye on you when, when you're making decisions. And with guys, that accountability really helps us fly straight when we have somebody else that says, dude, that's, that's, not, that's fire right there. That's, that's not good. That situation is starting to brew. Dude, you need to run. I, I had guys like that. I got saved with a handful of guys and my twin brother, and Tom got in my case about things. I remember I brought a girl to Bible study, and he looked at me. He said, nope, she's not the one. You're not going to be able to handle this one. This, this, is, this is not the one. And, and to have wingmen that speak truth and wingmen that want to see you succeed in God and grow in God, that's, what, that's, that's our tools that help us. And we're going to talk about that more. Come on, stand up with me if you will. Are you guys all right? Are we all right this morning? So here's the good news as we go. The good news. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves for the truth's not in us. But verse 9 is the good news. If we confess our sins, what does it say? He's faithful and just to forgive our sins, to do what in the yellow? To cleanse us. Say that with me. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say all. And here's a promise from God. If we just confess those things, he's faithful to cleanse us. He wants us clean. He wants us strong. He wants our confidence.